Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. And this morning, I, I, I want to give a word in season, I believe, for the church. It started really when Joy and I were in Marrakesh a couple of months back. Uh, we were on a little vacation there, and so a tour guide brought us a, a walk to walk around the marketplace. So we're walking around, and we saw like, the snake charmers, we saw the traders, and they were buying and selling. And we're just walking around looking at all the ancient buildings, and there were hundreds, if not thousands of years old, wells that were dug in the, uh, in the days of Jesus, really. And as we were walk, walking around, I, I was enjoying the sights because it was my first time uh, touring Marrakesh. And I love traveling. Some of you know that. I love seeing the Father's world. I make that my life mission. I, before I die, I, I want to see as much of the Father's creation as possible. That came out of my encounter with Father God years back. And so I, I want to see the Father's creation. So as I was walking around, admiring the sights, looking at the scenes, all of a sudden, I felt the burden of the Lord just came upon me, and I started praying in the Spirit. I, I think Joy knew that something was uh, happening. I, I was just wandering around, walking around, and there's this burden that just kept growing, and I was praying, and I said, God, what, what are you praying for? Because the Bible tells us that the Spirit will make intercession through us, and we don't know what to pray, but He will pray through us, which is why I want to strongly encourage us to pray in the Spirit. Amen? So he will pray through us. And so I, I was praying, trying to make sense what exactly is God praying for? Right? Have you experienced that before? You were praying and you were, you were wondering, what were you praying? I had a few uh, stories like that. So as I, as I was praying, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that I, I was actually praying for the persecuted church in the land. And so I Googled, you can always ask Google, how many Christians are there in Marrakesh? And I found out there were less than 15,000 Christians in Marrakesh. And as I pray, I was looking at the traders and the snake charmers, and all of a, su a sudden, the burden grew, and I was praying for their souls and praying for their salvation. And, and I realized that these were the people that Jesus died for, that Jesus died for and that they want them to know, and that He wants them to know His salvation, and that, and that He desires not to perish, but all to come to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Regardless of, of uh, what faith they were from, God wants them. He, he loves them. I was praying for the harvest. The fields are wide unto harvest. And then it brought me back to uh, my first mission trip when I was 20 years old. I've always wanted to go on missions since I was 17, but my leaders back in those days thought I wasn't qualified. They thought I, I was a little bit arrogant and I need to humble a bit before they send me and make me even more proud. You know? And so I waited for a few years. I saw people going for missions. I would send them off at Changi Airport, take photos, but there's a holy jealousy within me. I, I want to go. And so at 20 years old, finally they thought I qualified. Because I've, you know, and so I went to the Philippines to, see, to Cebu. And I was walking amongst the people live in huts, uh, out in nowhere, two hours from, from, from Cebu. And, and God just spoke to me uh, about the harvest. 
It was very dark in Cebu, very, very dark. There were no street lamps. And so when you wake up at, at night, you can't even see your fingers. And so uh, I looked up the sky, it was all stars. And I realized God loves these people. And many of them were stuck in, um, in religion. Now, they may know of Jesus, but they don't have a living, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I was looking at them and something was stirring. And I left that uh, place crying. I cried all the way uh, from uh, the city back to, to- uh, back to Cebu, take the plane. I was crying. And God sowed a seed in my heart for the harvest. Say the harvest. And a couple of uh, years uh, later, I became a bit more qualified. (laughs) And uh, my pastor was going on our first mission trip to China, and he picked me to carry his bags. That was real qualified. Uh, So I was carrying his bags. We were in Guangzhou. and went to Kunming. And on our way back, I was in a taxi. In a taxi, I turned to the taxi driver, and I tried to strike up a conversation. Because in those days, you know, I love souls, right? And, and, and this is why I live. I want to see souls come to Christ uh, back in those days. And so I turned to the taxi driver and I said, Nirensu Yesuma, do you know Jesus? And um, he looked at me and said, what's that? Which means that he has never heard the name of Christ. Never heard. And for the first time in my life, I met someone who has never heard the name of Christ in my life. And so we, strike, so we talk a, li- a, li- a little bit more and, and he said, oh, I'm from the Huis. You know, uh, which is uh, which is a people's group in China that 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 uh, that which is which is a minority and they and they are all Muslims and so we prayed so I prayed in my heart to God just save them send revival to to the Huis. But God wrecked me on that trip, and I came back with a passion for the harvest and I, and I want to talk about the harvest this morning. I believe the fields are white. I didn't say that. Jesus said that for uh, 2,000 years uh, uh, back in John chapter 4. And he said, uh, don't say it's four months. Look, lift up your eyes and see, for the fields are white unto harvest. I thought it's very interesting that Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Because if our eyes are on ourselves, we'll never see the harvest. If our eyes are on the temporal, we wouldn't see the harvest. It requires a change of perspective. It, re- it requires us to lift up our eyes, to see beyond our needs, to see beyond ourselves, and to look at the harvest. Lift up your eyes. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will supernaturally lift up our eyes that we can see the harvest around us. John chapter 4, please. We'll read, we'll read a few verses. And then I'll make some comments. And I title this message, Lessons at the Well. So John 4, 26. Do we have that on, on the screen? The, we don't have that, right? Just three, okay, let's read a few verses first. Just, just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Now, I'll just give you a quick background. John 4 is a very interesting chapter. It's one of the richest chapters in the Gospels. Because in John 4, you have several themes. We can talk about worship from John 4 because in John 4, Jesus said the hour is coming where those who worship the Father will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And so we can talk about worship. We can talk about ways to evangelize. We can talk about cross-cultural missions. We can talk about uh, loving the unlovable. So there are different themes in John 4. Uh, And so the woman that uh, is referred to in this passage was a woman who had five husbands, all five died, now she's living with a boyfriend. 
and she was drawing water at the well at noon, which means that she was trying to avoid the crowd because most people would draw water from the well in the evening when it was not so hot. But uh, for her to draw water from the well at noontime where it's blazing hot, he was, she was trying to avoid the crowd. In John 4, chapter 4, in John 4 and verse 4, the Bible says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. It's a very interesting phrase. He needed to go through Samaria. It seems like he was compelled by a mission. He was moved by the Spirit. And if you read the whole chapter, the only reason why Jesus needed to go through Samaria was to meet the woman at the well. It's interesting. When most of us love crowds and we like crusades, we spend millions trying to convert entire uh, cities and nations, where Jesus went the extra mile, made a trip intentionally to talk to one woman. All right, so let's read on. And, and, and no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. There are a few lessons we can learn from this story. Lesson number one from this passage, from these few verses, if we want to be effective in the harvest. Now this woman is an unlikely witness. Why? Because she's a brand new convert. She has just experienced Jesus. She wasn't she won't trained in the synagogue. She didn't know much about uh, who Jesus is. She has never seen other miracles. And all she experienced was, this man told me everything about me. And so she went back and brought the entire village to Jesus. So she was an unlikely uh, witness, a, a brand new convert. She was living with a man outside of marriage who knows almost no sound doctrine, no training on how to share her faith, and yet she evangelized the entire village. So what lessons can we learn from this passage? Number one, and I, I don't think it's a rocket science, but I want to remind us that passion is contagious. Passion is contagious. Jesus tells her that he's the Messiah and she left the water pots. She forgot why she was at the well. She was there to carry water back home so that she and the boyfriend and maybe some of the people in her life would have water to drink, water to bathe, water to wash the dishes and so forth. But she was so excited that she met the man who told her everything about her life that she left her water pots, and she went back to the village and told the man. Now, you have to just understand this, that the men would usually shun her because she's a woman of ill repute. She, 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 was, she had a loose reputation. And so most men would avoid her, fearing that their wives would find out that they were talking to this woman and that perhaps, you know, she... She was targeting them. You know, she was trying to... She has all kinds of reputation in the small village. And yet, she must be so excited that this man actually believed that she met someone transformational and went out to see Jesus with her. And of course, her exaggerating that Jesus told her everything, all about her, her life, implies that she was super excited. See, excitement or passion is contagious. And I just wonder, how would it look like if everyone in this church is excited about Jesus, like this woman is excited about Jesus? 
that we're excited about gathering on Sunday, we're excited about meeting our, uh, our life group members on a Friday or a Saturday, we're excited about worship, we're excited about the kingdom, we're excited about learning, we're excited about the Word, we're excited, we're just excited. People, have, have you seen people who are super excited? Now, most of you were when you first met Jesus. Hello? Most of us were. I still remember. I was super excited when I first met Christ. I went back home and my parents were persecuting me and I said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I used to sing that song to myself. It's an old hymn, right? In my room when they were scolding me, I would say, I have decided with tears flowing down. I said, if I need to leave my house, I'll leave my home. I want to follow Jesus. No turning back. I was excited. I, I, I wanted to go all the way. When I was 16, 17, I gave up my studies. I was a radical. I really was. And I, I believe I still am uh, t- today. But in those days, it was visible. I believe most of us were. When we first met Jesus, some of us who were old in the faith, you go for every single thing. You go for this Bible study. You go for you know, that life group. You, 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 you want to lap it all up. You want to learn everything about Christ. You will go for a conference. You would miss school. You would pay thousands of dollars to go for that revival. You, we do crazy things when we're excited. And people who are around us you know, get affected. Whether it's for the good or for the bad. For some of us, some of them were like, wow, these guys are all Jesus freaks. Let's you know. Some were so attracted by your passion that they can't stop hanging out with you. Have you found that out? We were excited. I was excited. And excitement is contagious. Some of the friends who are still my friends today were drawn, of course, to, to Jesus. But were, were all hanging out every Weekend, talking about Christ, talking about what we can do to make a difference in the kingdom, talking about changing the world. We were a bunch of excited Christians. Amen. See, evangelism and sales have many differences, but some parallels. You have to understand that we've all done silly things before at the spur of the moment. A couple of years back when Titus and Maddie were born, Mary Beth wasn't around yet. There was a knock on our door. The doorbell rang and we went to the door and there was a vacuum cleaner salesman. Have you met a vacuum cleaner salesman? I think in the U.S. there was a lot of them, but in Singapore, it's quite rare for them to come and knock on the door. But, in, but back in those days, about uh, 14 years, maybe 15, 14 years ago, they were selling this Delphin vacuum cleaner. Do you have a Delphin at home? I'll show you what a Delphin is. Delphin. <laughs> have you seen this? It was a Delphin vacuum cleaner. You have not seen this, right? And so they were demonstrating. So two salesmen came into our house and that's the mistake I made. I opened the door, allowed them to come in and they, and they, took, and they took our mattress out, our pillows out and they demonstrated the power of the Delphin vacuum cleaner. And they were vacuuming and, and uh, so it's all water. Right? So they have to top up the water you know, somewhere around there and they were vacuum and the water turned black. And then they started giving their sales speech. Like, you've got two young kids... You know, and uh, they and and um, 
all these are dust mites, maybe bed bugs, and uh, they and they're slowly eating up the children, and you don't even know it, and it's bad for their health, and so they were going on a sales pitch, and then one of them said, "Oh, I bought two. I gave it to my cousin. My so." I was so excited because I was a brand new parent. We want to be perfect parents, right? Don't we, parents? And so I said, at all costs, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll rescue my children from dust mites, from bed bugs. But we didn't have money because we were poor church pastors back in those days. And so I called my dad and, and I said, Dad, you know, there's, there's this very powerful vacuum cleaner that will save your grandchildren from being eaten by dust mites and by bed bugs. And so I said, can I bring the salespeople to your house? Mistake number two. So we drove to my parents' house and then they demonstrated. And the pillows and the, and the mattress and the water was black. And I said, Dad, we have to buy this. And that then was working and he was doing well. And so Dad paid, guess how much I, I paid? Or we paid for the vacuum cleaner. Make a guess, a vacuum cleaner. How much? Oh, you guys know, we put about five grand. It's like... 15 years ago for a vacuum cleaner. But 5,000 could have gone into Jason's wedding fund. And now it's still in our house. We don't use it. But there are all kinds of functions. You can put some essential oil and you know, the whole house will smell nice. And they will really go for the sales pitch. Now listen, my point is this. Evangelism and sales have many similarities. And one common feature is that the most successful salesmen are those who are excited about their product. Just imagine if those salespeople come in and they look bored and sad and looked at me and they say, oh, if you want to buy, don't buy, it's fine, you know. But they were, they were out there, man. They were saying, I bought four, I bought five, I gave it to my cousins and they demonstrated it and they really believe that this is gospel. It will change your life. <laughs> if you don't buy this, you'll go to hell earlier because... <laughs> Of the dust mites and the, and, the, and the bed bugs and what's in the air that you can't see the microcosm and da 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 da, which are so deep that I didn't understand, but sure sounds very sophisticated. So I paid the price to become a, a proud dolphin owner. Still there, we no longer use it. And I think it's the same with, with the gospel. When people look at you, do they see excitement when they talk about Christ? Who's on, the, who's on your lips? Is it your favorite actor, actress, sports personality, teen? Or Jesus? His kingdom. I like what Amy Carmichael wrote. She said, Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sing to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. I love that. Ever since I was a young Christian, and we've all heard this, Charles Wesley was asked, how did you, uh, how did you attract a crowd? And he said, I set myself on fire and they will come and see me burn. Charles and John Wesley. And I learned that fire always gets people's attention. Right? 
Have you drove? Have you driven down uh, a highway and you and you see smoke coming out? You know, in in a car next to you, it gets your attention. And when I was in uh, Africa, when I asked them what what was your primary concern, because they're all in the in the slums, I I thought it was diseases, but they said no. We were afraid of fire because when one house catches fire, the entire slums get wiped out. So fire spreads, it begets fire. And I pray that this morning God would consume us with His holy fire, that we can all have our genuine encounter with the Lord. Don't just be a church goer. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Don't just be a pure warmer. Be a fire branch. Come on, a fire branch, excuse me, for Jesus. And, it's, and, it's, and, and it doesn't have to do with age. You can be 55 and still be a red hot chili pepper for Jesus Christ. Or, or you can be 15 and be dead cold. So this morning, my challenge to us, even myself, is if we're no longer excited about Him, we need to figure out why. Why? Because passion... It's contagious. If we're truly concerned about the harvest, we must be excited about Jesus. In your workplace, in your school, as a local church. Because when, they, when, when our friends come in, when they observe the temperature of this church, what, what, what would they say? Would they say that, wow, this church is sure very hot, man. I may not know who Jesus is yet, but that Your worship, your love, your passion are drawing people to Christ. Amen? So let's be excited. Let's regain that excitement. Let's, let's be enthusiastic about the gospel. Amen? So this... Witness was a brand new Christian, was super excited. She left her water jars and she left. At that moment, the, the disciples... Now, what was the disciples doing when this thing was uh, happening? They were buying food, right? Because they didn't have food, so they were, they were buying food uh, and, and they were coming back. And the disciples were clueless about Jesus' mission. They didn't know why Jesus needed to go to Samaria. They thought Jesus is just you know, on a sightseeing tour, want to see what the Samaritans look like. They've got no idea. So they arrive back at the well with their Big Macs and their fries. Then they say, let's eat and be happy and be merry and let's move along. Let's get on with the real mission. Because they wanted the spectacular, the glamour, the, <coughs> the miracles. It's okay. You can tell that I'm very excited. <laughs> so they wanted the spectacular. This stopping for, for the one just didn't make sense to these disciples. Leaving the 99 to go for the one lost sheep just didn't make sense to the disciples. Right? So they, they came back and just think about this. They could have passed by the woman when they were on their way to the city to buy food. Perhaps they may have gone around her because who in the right mind would carry a water jug at noontime to come and collect water at the well. So they could have 
gone around her, but they sure didn't speak to her. So when they came back and found Jesus speaking to the woman, they were puzzled. They were surprised. And as she leaves, the disciples wanted to get all of their mission, namely to get Jesus to eat lunch and quickly get back on the journey. But Jesus clues them in on the real mission, on his mission. So let's read verses 31 to 38, please. So meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each, each other, could someone have brought him food? See, they were clueless. Like many of us, stop speaking in metaphor, we may say to Jesus. Just be straightforward, tell us direct. But Jesus said, something else is sustaining me. Jesus said, my strength comes from something else. And so they wouldn't even know what he was talking about. My food, Jesus then explained, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. Next verse, please. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. The second lesson I, I want to impart to you this morning is we need to have a harvest mindset. The disciples missed the point. They thought that it's all about going somewhere, but Jesus was saying that there's a food he was eating, that something is sustaining him. See, we eat so we can have, have, we can have strength, we eat so we can sustain life, and so Jesus was saying there's something more important than food and drink. There's something that sustains him, which is more than food and drink. We've often been just like the disciples, focused on the natural when we should have been awakened to what God was doing spiritually and supernaturally around us. And, some, and sometimes we comfort ourselves with, with, with very reasonable excuses like, oh, I'm tired, I'm busy, I've got a big family. Me, especially as you grow older, you get comfortable and you give yourself reasons why we should leave the harvesting to the professionals. Like them, I needed to develop a harvest mindset. And so what exactly is the harvest mindset? I believe number one, the harvest mindset puts the will of God and His work above everything else. That's the harvest mindset. And you don't have to be an older Christian to have a harvest mindset. You can have a harvest mindset this morning. You can allow the Holy Spirit to give, uh, to shift your mindset and put on the harvest mindset. See, the disciples were so focused on eating lunch. Like many of us, even this morning, right now as I was speaking, you were thinking now, all right, where should the life group go for lunch? Should we go you know, to this place or that place? Well, we are planning. We're focused on what do we do after church. We're focused on the natural and nothing's wrong. We need to eat. But Jesus was focused on doing the Father's will and accomplishing the work the Father had sent Him to do. We don't know whether Jesus ever got His drink or ate the burger, but what we knew is this. In three short years, at John, in John 17, Jesus can actually said, I have finished the work you've sent me. 
In three short years, Jesus was mission-minded. Jesus had a harvest mindset. Every morning when he wakes up, he's saying, where should I harvest? And which is why he needed to go to Samaria, even for the one. Now, listen, I believe Jesus knew that the, the woman, though she's questionable, is the key to unlock the, the, the revival in the village. But that's counter-cultural. That, that doesn't make sense. We would have gone into the village. Why go to the well? Of all places, why the well? Why not the town hall? Why not the, why not the marketplace? Why the well? But Jesus knew. She was, he was all about doing the Father's will. Food and drink was secondary to Jesus. Reaching lost people was primary. You see, friends, unless we understand what that verse means, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And unless that verse comes alive in our spirit, we wouldn't have a harvest mindset. We wouldn't live life like Jesus lived his life. What's your food? Is it just eating and drinking? Is it just living from movies to uh, the next game on TV? Is it just waiting for the new release of that song by your favorite singer? Now, these are all fun. Life goes on. But what sustains you is the question. What gives you strength? That's what I'm talking about. Are you with me? What sustains you? Food. I'm hungry now because I had little breakfast before I speak, but... Food sustains us. Food gives us strength. And Jesus is saying that only when I'm doing the Father's will that it nourishes me, it gives me the nutrients, it sustains me, it strengthens me, it gives me the reason for living. It keeps me going. Keeps me going. Like C.S. Lewis said, he himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. Wow. Don't you love that? He, the Father's will, His work fuels us. See, Jesus has never met a person He didn't love and reach out to because Jesus had compassion, which is what drove Him. What drove Him to the well was compassion. And you must understand, church, that compassion is a much stronger word than the word concern. See, many, many of us concern, we're concerned. I'm so concerned about the loss. I'm so concerned. I'm so concerned about human trafficking. I'm so concerned. I'm so concerned about the poor. Oh, I'm really concerned about children. Well, we, we're all concerned. We carry a little concern. We walk around people, the lame, the handicapped, we're all concerned. But there's a difference between compassion and concern. Compassion is often defined as love accompanied by action. Love accompanied by action. I read the story of a grandfather who went on a fishing trip with two of his grandsons, age 10 and 12. The canoe he was in capsized and he was thrown into water about 20 feet deep. When he was trying to reach out to the uh, canoe, the, the canoe overturned, rolled over and struck him on the head as he was trying to swim, he realized that his legs were paralyzed. And so it was evident that he was drowning. And neither of the boys knew how to swim. And when the boy saw what was happening to the grandfather, the younger boy began to cry and call out for help. 
and there was no one within miles of the lake. And a 12 years old boy who couldn't swim pulled off his shoes and dived into the water and by the grace of God was able to swim to the, the canoe, get hold of his grandfather's arm and pull him safely to the shore. By God's grace. And when a reporter questioned the 12 years old, she asked, were you afraid? And the 12 years old said, of course, yes, I, 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 I am, am afraid. Do you know how to swim? He said, no. And did you think that you can save your granddad? And the grandson said, I didn't know. So the question is, why did you endanger your life? And the, and the 12 years old said, because he's, he's my granddad and I love him. See, the younger son, grandson, was concerned and cried and called for help. But the older grandson showed compassion and he dived into the water. That's the difference. Concern and compassion. We can cry. Even in, in our press, it's important. We cry, we pray, we ask God for burdens. But compassion always does something. The word is used seven times in the gospel, five times in regards to Jesus' ministry. One time in the parable of the prodigal son and another time in the parable of the good Samaritan. And every time we read the word compassion in the gospel, it always activates the supernatural. Always. Jesus had compassion, He multiplied bread. Jesus had compassion, He raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had compassion, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 41, there was, a, there, was a lep, there was a leper who begged Him on his knees and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And, and the Bible says, filled with compassion, Jesus didn't just say, oh, poor thing. He says, He reached out His hand and touched the man. And He said, I'm willing, be clean. And the Bible tells us that from that point, the man was cleansed. A miracle took place. See, compassion activates the supernatural. But it is also risky. Like the little boy, 12 years old, who dived into the water, who couldn't swim, he took a risk. So compassion is always risky. Jesus reached out and he risked his reputation by touching an unclean man. It went against his culture, but it's always risky. But compassion does something. We can have all the talking in the world. We can share our concerns. We can talk about burdens. But unless we do something, nothing changes. Nothing changes. The harvest mindset is about putting God's will and His work above all else and taking risks and go the extra mile and be moved with compassion. There was another passage in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus overlooked the city of Jerusalem and the Bible says He was moved with compassion because they were like sheep with no shepherd. What's moving you? And the word move is a very graphic word. It, it, it means that you ate something wrong the night before and like what Cons was sharing last Sunday, her stomach was stirring. And that's what move meant. It was move. And the next thing you know what will happen is that it has to go somewhere, right? To it always moves you to action. That's exactly what the word meant. You will move. You won't you don't just talk about it, you, you, you don't just discuss it or have intellectual debate about the harvest. You will move. 
And that's when the next verse says, and Jesus called his disciples to himself and he sent them into the harvest. Two by two. He released them. He empowered them and he sent them into the harvest. He was moved. The harvest mindset focuses on sowing and reaping. I'll come to a close very soon. But in verses 35 and 38. Oops, do we have the verses? Next slide, please. Do we have verses? Yes, no. Yep. Nope. Third. Oh, it's all in there. That's, that, 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 that's right. <laughs> all right, in, in the passage that I've just read, the harvest mindset focuses on sowing and reaping. And Jesus made four points. And very quickly, he said, the harvest may be ready even when you least expect it. In verse 35, don't say four months. Now is the time for the harvest. The Samaritan was an unlikely prospect for, evangel- for evangelism. She wasn't even interested in, in spiritual things when Jesus turned the conversation in that direction. She wasn't even a key person or a potential leader. She was questionable. She was immoral. She was living, uh, a, she was li- she was living a wayward life. So sometimes the harvest may be ready even when we don't expect it, which is why we have to be we have to be watchful. In the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the taxi, for example, in your classroom. And like many of us, sometimes I miss it. Because well, I want to just live my own life. And sometimes, you know, I push and re- realize that that's wrong. You know, some, you know what I'm saying? So the harvest may be ready even when we don't expect it. And Jesus ended up reaping and the harvest of an entire village because she spoke to a woman. We have to pray, friends, that every single day as we look around us, we are harvest-minded. Harvest-minded. The second point from this passage is that there is a great reward and great joy in doing God's work. In verse, th- in verse 36, Jesus said that there's, that, that there's a great joy, there's a great rejoicing. Jesus said, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he, and he who reaps may rejoice together. Friends, earthly wages are of no value after you die, but wages that pays rewards for eternity are worth working for now. To reap a harvest, seeds must be sown. Sometimes we ask ourselves, how come there's no harvest in this church? How come there's no harvest? How come there's no souls being saved? There's, when, there is no reaping without prior sowing. But we often forget this. We expect to reap without sowing. We wonder why we don't see people coming to Christ in our lives. Often the, the answer is so simple. Because I haven't sown a seed. I want to say to you, friends, that now is time to sow in the workplace, in your schools. It's time for us to sow seeds of the gospel. Start praying. Start listing out down names. For the first time in many years, I've got people who are non-Christians in my life. 
and I'm shining. I am. I'm being salty. They know I'm a Christian, and I, I want to excel uh, at my work. And as they look at me, you know, I was seeing souls, amazing, s- safe. I brought, I brought a few to Alpha, and one, one of them who came a couple of times basically you know, has uh, prayed you know, in a corporate event recently, and he was like, well, this is very special. I mean, friends, it's amazing when you see people experience Jesus. You reap a harvest when you sow a seed. And my last point is this. You may do the hard work of sowing only to have others reap the harvest. So keep in mind, we never labor alone. If you lead someone to Christ, probably like what Jesus said, you're reaping where someone else has already sown and watered. See, it's rare for someone to come to faith the first time he hears the message. So if you share the gospel and the person does not respond, don't get discouraged. Pray that God would water the seed that you have sown and bring someone along to reap the harvest. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. I want to make a statement here. We are are often disposed to give excessive honor to the reapers and to overlook the labors of the sowers. What's What's my point here? We need to reap, but we need to sow. And this morning as... I challenge you, tomorrow, lay late, late at lunch, sow seeds, water seeds, go back to the same person, acts of kindness, encouragement, sow seeds. I want to see the harvest. It's ready. There were signs at Christmas. The first Sunday of the year, God was just speaking to me and said, it's harvest time. Don't say four months. Don't say when we get the structure already, when we've got the leaders all in place, when the life groups are all together. Come on, church. There is no greater time to reap the harvest than now. As we start a brand new year, I want to impart to you a harvest mindset. Lift up your eyes. Look around you. If you have got no burden for the harvest, maybe be like me. Go on a mission trip. Join John as he goes to, I don't know where. And sign up with joy to go to Cambodia. Go with Jason for prayer walking trip. Expose yourself. It changes you, man. It's disheartening when we open up missions for people to sign up. No one signs up. You have to fill yourself and say, God, I've got no passion for the harvest. Something wrong with, with me. I've lost my, I've lost my desire for, for the kingdom. Set yourself on fire. I really believe that you can literally pour oil on yourself, <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit to come and light the flame and set yourself on fire. Sometimes we may wonder, I've tried so hard, I've labored, I've watered, I've sown, but there's still no harvest. I want you to know, friends, that the fruit that you sow, that, that, that the seed you sow will bear fruit, whether it's in your lifetime or in the life to come, in, the next gen, in your next generation. So we have a work in Burma, and years ago, do you know the gospel actually came into Southeast Asia through Burma. It was for the CNMA church. 
the, that missionary then was a guy named Arnairam Judson. And he labored his entire lifetime in Burma with much hardship, many disappointments, and little visible fruits in terms of converts. He died in Burma as a missionary from England. If you go to Burma today, the tribes, almost all of them are Christians. Of course, they need a revival of their faith, but his foot was seen after his death. And there are millions of Christians in Burma because someone sowed a seed, faithfully watered the seed, and now they're reaping the harvest. And of, and of course, by God's grace, we have a church that is seeing fruit. Every Sunday, they're seeing converts. In the Philippines, we're seeing fruit. We've got young people coming to faith in, in Christ. I'm jealous for Singapore. I really am. Why do we have, why, why must they have the good stories? We can have our own stories. Come on. I'm jealous for you guys. I want you to have a story to tell. I want you to have stories in the life group of uh, how because of your faith that you are seeing revival in your school, that you're seeing souls coming to faith in your workplace. I want you to have stories. Amen. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And the reason why there aren't laborers is because the laborers are unwilling to roll up their sleeves, put their hands into the plow, don't look back. You know what? I've decided to follow Jesus. Regardless of what my vocation, my title, regardless. You know, as far as I'm concerned, some of you may wonder how Daniel does it. I'm the same person, 15 years old, and now. All I care about is the kingdom of God. All I care about is that those who are in darkness come to the light. All I care about is, is, is that God's uh, territories are expanding in all spheres. That's what I care about. That's what we live for. Let's, let's all stand. I want to ask God to impart to us a harvest mindset. It's been seven years. And Andre once asked us to raise our hands, you know, how many people were baptized in this church? And that was actually, that was actually an, an aha moment for many of us. You know, we aren't seeing people come to faith. It's wonderful that we've had our own revival, we had our own encounters. But unless the encounter translates to something, you know, it it won't sustain. Fire needs to keep on burning and it needs to wrap off a foreign object to keep on burning. It needs fuel. And your fuel is to do God's way. Your fuel is you know, to set another person on fire. Otherwise, you will burn out. You know, people ask me, Daniel, do you, eat, do you ever burn out? How do you do this, 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 this? I don't burn out. I know, I know it's a big thing to say, but I don't. Because if you're always passing the fire and getting people on fire, you, you don't burn out. I get tired. I need to rest. I go on vacation. I go for my you know, uh, time out with joy. But I don't burn out. So if you're burning out, it's maybe because you, know, you aren't setting an, another person on fire. That, that there's nothing burning in your, in your life. You're, you aren't filled with, with God's vision, God's will. 
Close our eyes, please. The fields are white. We can either be like Jesus, who has a harvest mindset, who will stop at the well and speak to a questionable character. And this person in your in your life could be like this. Could be could, could be like the woman. Or the friend in your class, or your boss at work, could be rich, could be poor. Regardless, Jesus was called. He needed to go to Samaria. Or we could be like the disciples. All we care about food, hamburgers, drinks, eat. Come on, let's move on. Let's go into do the next big thing. Jesus, come on. We saw revival in Galilee. It's time for us to go to the next town. Let's have a revival. Miracles. Growing legs. Blind eyes opening. Resurrection. The drop, the dramatic, the spectacular, the fireworks. There was no firework in this story. That nothing. So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now first of all we ask that you will rekindle our Lord the fire in our lives can we put our hands on our heart please you know I know whenever I speak I you know I don't know I'm just an exhorter you know I want to push all of us to a place of action and sometimes it may come across as Daniel can you stop being so offensive I'm offensive to myself. I said, Daniel, come on. So know where I'm coming from, church, but God has called us to come together as a people for such a time as this, for the sake of the harvest. There's a shaking going across the earth, friends. The signs are showing. You have heard from different people. 2017, it, you know, is a year of hope. It's a year where I, I believe there's a rekindling of a Holy Spirit's revival across the earth. The signs are showing. And we need to mobilize the, la- the laborers. And the laborers must be on fire. Whether you are 15 years old, studying in a secondary school, or whether you are 35, working in the marketplace, whether you are 45, in a good place, financially, comfortable with your family. This morning, if you can hear the heart of the Spirit speaking to you, and He wants to rekindle you. So if you just put your hands on your heart and say, God, set my heart on fire. Set my heart. Come on. Come Holy Spirit. We, we pray for a Holy Spirit movement within me. We ask for a trembling of our soul. We pray that you open our eyes to see the harvest. Lift up your eyes. Open my eyes, Jesus. Open my eyes. We want to see not just our own needs and wants, not just the food that we desire, not just the temporal. We want to see. We want to see the harvest. We want to see what you see, Jesus. Come on, church. Just pray with me. Pray in the Spirit. I'm just trusting God for an activation.